It is Friday, the 31st of May, 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 42 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today or any of the guests say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So a special episode in store today and and a bit different to what I had promised during the week. So I, I did a Facebook poll on, on, on the group during the week and I asked what you'd prefer, an episode detailing the NZX news or a review of the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. So the post went viral, or at least viral for me, and it got like 20 votes, 12 of which were in favour of the Berkshire meeting and 18 voted for the NZX. So if you haven't already, go and like our Facebook page, search Stock Market Movers, and that's the kind of quality content you're missing out on. But then something else came up. I, I got the into the opportunity to interview former, recently former Sky Chief Executive Officer John Follett. Also, I, I realised that reviewing a Berkshire meeting is no easy feat as the most recent one is seven hours long and, and that's pretty much seven hours of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talking so it was a lot more work than what I expected. But worry not, there will be a, a Berkshire episode in the future and it is a work in progress. So this was an interview that I was looking forward to for a long time. I wanted to get John on the podcast ever since I started it last year. And the reason is that I could tell from reading his annual letter that he was a Warren Buffett fan. And being a a Buffett fan always gives you an inside chance of getting on the podcast, by the way. So John was the CEO of Sky TV from the year 2001 until February last year. And Sky, for those that do not know, trade on the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code SKT. And that the market cap these days is a tick under 500 million, but they are one of New Zealand's most significant and, in my opinion, most important companies. I mean, there's 700,000 odd households that, that have a Sky subscription. So chances are that even if you do not have Sky, you, you probably know someone that does and you're already familiar with, with what they do. So it was a, a great discussion. It was one of those ones where I, I felt like I'd learned something that I'd essentially come out smarter than what I was when I went in, which is always great. And that's what happens when you sit down with someone, anyone that is an expert in their field. And, and that is what John is. He's an expert in the field of content and running businesses and everything like that. And this is a a good episode also for anyone that likes media, TV and, and, and that sort of thing. It's almost like a look under the, the hood of the industry. You know, lots of mentions of Game of Thrones and other content and sport and everything like that. So I'm sure as as I did, you listening into this discussion will learn something as well. Before we start, thanks also to the Formosa Golf Resort. We turned up and pretty much at, at random as a place to record the record the podcast and 30 seconds later they gave us a conference room to conduct the interview and so just looking at their website as a shout out uh, uh, aside from golf it looks like you can do weddings conferences and they also have restaurants and accommodation there as well so you know head out there and see them if you get the chance so what we'll do is we'll pick up the interview from when I click record on the episode. Right so I'm sitting here with John Fillett at the Formosa golf course out in Whitford. Um, so thanks very much for, for joining me today, John. My pleasure. Fantastic. Oh, what, what we'll do to kick off is I'll get you to start with maybe a, 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 a bit of your background. I understand you're not from New Zealand and, and how you ended up in New Zealand. Sure. Um, I gr- I'm from Arizona, originally Arizona in the States, and uh, graduated university sometime in about 1974 and uh, went uh, a couple of years with an accounting firm. 
and then um, uh, been in the pay television business ever since and uh, to I retired in February this year and now still doing a lot of consulting for the pay television companies around the world. Fantastic and I guess we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. One of the things we were speaking about I guess off air so to speak before was you were lucky enough to see Warren Buffett present in the in the 70s. I was. Uh, there was um, at Arizona State University where I went they used to bring in CEOs of different um, major corporations, standards and poor companies uh, and uh, uh, for the afternoon, there'd be two or three uh, come in and each speak. And I can't remember his name, but uh, IBM, and keep in mind, Jeremy, back then, IBM was like the uh, the Google is now. You know, that was a company everyone aspired to work for, uh, aspired to work for and uh, wanted to, uh, you know, that, that was a career once you made that. So you're excited about seeing IBM. Yeah. So I went there to uh, listen to him, and right before him, there's a company by the name of Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, which I'd never heard of, and uh, and Warren Buffett got up, and I remember this is '73, '74, and he was while he was folksy and not dynamic, but he just cut through a lot of bullshit, and you know it was no CEO speak. He was just talking like uh, like he was the town barber type of guy, and I don't mean that derogatory, but I mean he was just so down to earth. And I wanted to go work for him <laughs> and realized that uh, he was probably more a, an investment manager than he was actually running a corporation. He, he was sitting on boards of several corporations back then. And, and of course, Berkshire back then just was a, an insurance company, Geico, and, uh, and uh, trading stamps and a couple other uh, things like that. And, uh, and so I just became a disciple of his and bought shares, the best decision I ever made, the best financial decision, and <laughs> bought a few shares. Uh, back in the 70s. Back in the early 70s, and uh, it's the biggest portion of my portfolio today, probably. So it's fair to say that he had a pretty big influence on your life because not, I mean, everyone's heard of Warren Buffett, but they probably didn't hear from him in the last, until the last 10 years, but you were lucky enough to hear from him, you know, 40 years ago. That's right. I was an early disciple. Yeah. Uh, I, I met him before he was cool, and now he's, uh, he's doing HBO specials, so it's, uh, it's amazing. Fantastic. Um, and I, I guess it's probably worth having a chat about what most people know you in New Zealand for, and, and, that, and that's Sky TV. How, how did it come that you ended up at Sky being from Arizona? Well, uh, I was in the business um, in the, uh, this would have been the uh, late 80s, uh, uh, cable TV was really booming and had reached a peak and it was starting to consolidate and uh, and so uh, some of the firms were getting in financial trouble. So my job was to move around about every 18 months to take a new assignment, try to turn around a, a pay TV operation. And I worked for a company by the name of uh, TCI and uh, John Malone was the CEO of uh, TCI then. And um, so that they took a position in New Zealand, it wasn't going as well as they'd hoped, and they wanted me to go down just for an 18-month assignment. And so I thought well, that was fantastic, 18 months, and uh, uh, New Zealand is someplace every American would love to go visit. And uh, came down, fell in love with the place, and I was able to stretch that 18-month uh, assignment into about uh, 30 years. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, the Sky and that they they bought Sky as a distressed asset, essentially. And you were sent in to help turn it around, or what, what was the situation? Uh, yes, it, Sky was up and running. Uh, back in those times, owned completely by New Zealand investor Craig Heatley, uh, was the founder, and uh, did quite uh, quite well to get it off the ground. But like all new startups, they tended to take uh, twice as long to get to pr uh, profitability. In fact, we wouldn't get to profitability for probably another ten years. 
and uh, also um, uh, needed a lot more of uh, capital to get uh, decoders out in that, uh, you know, to build that critical mass. So uh, that's what I was brought in for. And you mentioned, I just wrote that down now, you mentioned an industry was consolidating back then. What, what was the industry landscape at, at the time? In, in the United States? Yeah, I guess just in general, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, um, cable TV, uh, free-to-air networks were still the most uh, powerful uh, uh, companies out there. And a great deal, unlike New Zealand, a great deal of the U.S. market was built mainly in what we call retransmission, picking up signals. Let's say uh, we were in Auckland now, but let's say we were in um, a place like Huntley, uh, mm. just uh, an hour or so to, to the uh, south of us. Under normal conditions, they wouldn't be able to see the Auckland signals. So cable TV entrepreneurs, and they, these guys tended to be pretty small, uh, would come in and build uh, a cable TV plant just doing nothing else other than uh, picking up the, uh, from a high tower the Auckland signals and then bringing it down into um, Huntley and uh, distributing it that way. Uh, then about the time I entered the industry, the satellite started to go up, mm. and all of a sudden CNN was up there and ESPN, and so now all of a sudden uh, the industry needed a lot more capital to build satellite dishes, and instead of making only a four or five channel cable TV system, uh, you know, they needed multiple channels as the industry expanded. Yeah, and is there any parallels to the sort of consolidation back then to what's happening in the media space at the moment with some of the large acquisitions and things we're seeing overseas? Yes, uh, now... Uh, well, we've got Nine and Fairfax, Disney and Fox, AT&T, Time Warner, that sort of thing? Yes. Um, the, the, you know, what happens is uh, uh, the technology is never static. Mm. And so whatever um, advantage you have, you have to continue to work on it and try and see out uh, where the next uh, wave is coming from, uh, a competition, because... Uh, uh, especially if you're a profitable company, uh, uh, your margin attracts competitors. And so um, in, 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 the, uh, in the mergers that you see in, in the states, it's really a consolidation. At one time, there was maybe 4,000 cable operators across the United States, and they went from, um, back when I first started, TCI, which uh, you know maybe owned 50 or 60 cable TV systems, to... Um, uh, to a majority of only owning one, or maybe just two, you know, just in a neighboring uh, city. And keep in mind, they weren't in the big cities back then, they were in the Huntleys of the United mm. States. And uh, they, um, and uh, you know, now there's probably four cable TV systems that uh, operators that have 90% of the mm. uh, Comcast and uh, some of those, and they're all integrated in all sorts of other areas. Uh, uh, you know, uh, AT&T now I think owns Time Warner and um, which is hard to imagine Time Warner was probably one of the biggest companies when I first started the industry and now they're owned by a phone company and we're seeing similar things here uh, happening um, uh, Australia more than probably New Zealand where um, uh, Channel 9 has uh, purchased Fairfax and uh, NZME um, is uh, uh, kind of a standalone operation uh, that the originally owned by Australian APN, I believe, and uh, they sold it off or sp- spun it off mm. separately. I think there's is QMS looking at MediaWorks as well. I think I was reading. You know, I think what happened there was MediaWorks bought the QC, uh, QCM's uh, QSM's QMS QMS. Sorry, yep. uh, bought the QMS assets, or they merged them together. So just the New Zealand assets. So now yeah. MediaWorks is a company that has a probably 50% of the radio market. 
TV3 and uh, Bravo and um, and now billboard companies. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question I think everyone would like to hear. I mean, you, we're sort of speaking about trends in the past there. What do you see as sort of trends in the future and in, in the media space? Look, I think more and more you'll see um, the media companies or consumption of media uh, boiling down to uh, on demand. Yeah. And, and so all the companies uh, are going to um, uh, need to adjust to that. And uh, it, it won't happen overnight. And these but on demand, do you mean sort of like the Netflix, Netflix style model, of watching? But, yeah. Know, uh, TV and Z on demand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Sky would probably have a bigger library of on demand co- content th- than, um, than uh, say, even Netflix, uh, Sky New Zealand. But, uh, and then uh, the internet has allowed. Um, uh, more uh, lower the barriers to entry, mm. so the, the two of us tomorrow go out, go out and we can sign some rights, start streaming tomorrow. It's yeah. a pretty easy business to yeah. get into, and so I mean, it's like me with this podcast. I uh, guess. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, podcasting was also built on the back of technology change before the internet. Uh, mm. That no one would, uh, you know, you might put it up on YouTube or something like that. And even YouTube is probably a beneficiary of the internet. Yeah. So, am I right in saying? just reading between the lines that the, the previous challenge for the industry was more distribution and the content was sort of the secondary thing where now it's, it's is, that, is that flipped on its head a bit? Well, not completely. I mean, you take a look at um, uh, the distribution is still the key point. Yeah. And not only going out, I mean, uh, Spark Sport is a, probably the, the latest entrant in, into the field. Um, the technology is still the distribution is still the ultimate challenge. Yeah. Once again, the two of us could go out and bid for just about any uh, content, and they typically don't require any money up front. They, you know, let's say we bought sports rights or the HBO Game of Thrones uh, franchise. Until you start showing it, you don't owe any money, and, mm. and, and so we could go out and uh, acquire, uh, you know, FIFA World Cup or something like that. But then we've got to quickly launch it, our, our service, get the word out, try and build up some sort of a, uh, a market for it, and then hopefully bring in enough revenue by the time that you have to pay your FIFA bill, yeah, uh, you can break even. So it would be great to get some insight on that, actually. How, how does the, just from a Sky perspective, mm-hmm. for example, how, how does it come about that you get content on on, on Sky? You, you mentioned bidding for it. Then. How, how, does it, how does it get from owned, being owned by the content producers to being on Sky, for example. Yeah, I, I, a couple of things. One, keep in mind it's always owned by the content producers. Yep. Uh, I've never seen um, uh, any content. Uh, studios made uh, MGM was now purchased by Turner Broadcasting or something like that. And so uh, that way content actually, the copyright holder changes. Right. But people like uh, organizations like Sky and, uh, uh, and, and, um, and Netflix um, until recently just rent content. Yeah, and so we rent it. We go and say, "Look, I want the exclusive rights to, um, or I want the rights. Sometimes they're exclusive, sometimes they're not. To distribute uh, the FIFA World Cup in New Zealand. So yeah. they're normally geographically based. Um, uh, there hasn't been, um, with the exception of maybe Netflix and ESPN, you haven't seen people go after global rights mm. because that's a very expensive thing to do. Yeah, and uh, and so you own it for a certain period of time. And then uh, it's up for bid again, and you can decide to take it or pass on it. And how does it work on a, a practical matter? Say I want the FIFA World Cup, and Sky also wants it, 
and we're bidding against each other. Yep. Obviously, there's probably certain hurdles that I have to get past to be in that race for a start, but is, is it literally just like a property auction? How, how yes. does it work? Uh, yes, uh, with some um, refinement in the fact that uh, the organization, uh, the FIFA um, organization, is uh, they make their money mainly on sponsorship as opposed to, let's say, the uh, EPL. Uh, makes it the money on uh, they need to have people pay rights so they can pay the players. Mm. When you think about the FIFA World Cup, they don't pay any players. Uh, maybe the country will pay, and maybe mm. New Zealand will pay the uh, soccer players here in New Zealand, uh, football players, to to go to the FIFA World Cup. But uh, the FIFA does not pay anybody. You want to be there, like the Olympics or something like that. And so organizations like FIFA tend to be much more, well, how much of it will be on free-to-air? We want the widest distribution So the biggest possible. nips yeah. sort of thing, yeah. On the other hand, the EPL could care less. Yeah. And the EPL will sign it up for... That's uh, maybe a better example for yeah. my question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The EPL typically use brokers, and uh, uh, the brokers will send out tender documents, and uh, everyone will bid on it. So what, they want the highest bidder. They want the highest yeah. bidder, and they typically don't care. I mean, a good example, the, the more time zones away, the EPL would never consider putting... Uh, the EPL rights over the internet only in, in the UK where they're based. But 12 time zones away in New Zealand and Australia, <laughs> they don't care. Who offers, who writes the biggest check and uh, we'll take it. Yeah. So you had a, we'll come back to your annual report in a minute, but it seems like a good time to talk about it. You had a great quote in your most recent Sky annual report um, regarding the difference between price and value when, when, when thinking about content. That's right, and I, I presume it's similar to what uh, your uh, listeners uh, look at uh, look at uh, stock prices the way I looked at content, mm. that the price is what you end up paying for it, and the value is what you end up getting, and by that I mean um, I may buy the FIFA World Cup for uh, $100, say, and, and, and if, if, if I can get a $150 worth of, if I can monetize it to bring in $150 mm. worth of cash, that is, that, that's a good value. And uh, if, uh, at the end, if I only end up bringing $75, that's a bad value. So content is a weird game where sometimes it's an asset mm. and sometimes it's a liability based on what you pay for it. Yeah. So it sounds like a silly question, mm -hmm. but the the value side of that, you you meaning the monetization side of That's it, as right. opposed to the value it might provide to the listener, or is that the same? Is it all in the same? Well, uh, the, great question. Or and the I, watcher, the viewer. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think uh, you make a, a good point that uh, my value I assign to it is based on what the viewer is prepared to pay for it. Yeah. So um, uh, and 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 how I. And so what Sky and platforms do, like Sky, have to figure out a monetization plan and say, mm. okay, how do we get money to cover all the cost of the infrastructure that we put in and all the content we acquire? Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if this is an appropriate question, but what's your view on, on some of the prices being paid for, for content out there at the moment? I mean, you see Netflix making these pretty hefty yep. content spends and, you know, Spark bidding for the Rugby World Cup and, and, and things like that? Look, uh, certainly in Netflix's case, um, there's been, in my opinion, uh, mm. some creative accounting. They will um, produce a show, um, uh, a television series, and they will they own it. And they'll, they'll say, this television series is... Like House of Cards, for House example. House of Cards. Yeah. And they say, look, this is a fantastic series. We'll own it, and we're going to show it on our Netflix forever. 
in the U.S., uh, historically, you bought a television series, and it had a great deal of value the first year, and then some values on reruns, and then it kind of sunk down to mm -hmm. oblivion. Netflix has a model that says, hey, uh, House of Cards is going to be on our platform. House of Cards may be a bad example because they don't own that. Sony oh, okay, Pictures, I didn't but, realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But let's say they, they, they commissioned it and owned it. So they would put it on their books and um, say, we're going to slowly amortize it out for a, uh, uh, you know, 20 years. And in a uh, sky and everyone around wouldn't typically own the content. And so we'd have to write it off on the year that uh, that we uh, that we typically played it, mm. even though there's legitimately some residual value that you got Sky to get the FIFA World Cup and and maybe you stay on forever. Well, I remember when I first got Sky when we were younger in 1999, I think mm -hmm. it was. I was basically begging my dad to get the Cricket World Cup. Okay. And then we were only going to have it for the Cricket World yeah. Cup, but then we never got rid of it. That's right. You know. Yeah, and that's uh, and look, uh, Sky was built on that. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting, while uh, sport only represented half of its budget, it was always interesting to me that sport only represented about 20% of the viewing. Oh, really? Yeah. So tw the sport is something that got you off the couch, you picked up the phone, called an order sky, but then once you got it, you stayed around for all the other stuff, the movies, uh, maybe you know, maybe like news, the children's content. Uh, well, at the time, it was better than TV 1, 2, and 3. Uh, yeah, if nothing else, more channels. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I see. I mentioned before your your letter to shareholders, and I, I do want to bring it up because, as far as I'm aware, it's relatively relatively unique amongst CEOs in in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that for those listening is, it appears to me at least that John actually writes his own <laughs> letter to shareholders as opposed to a, a, a consultant or, or whoever else writing it. So I'd, I'd like your view on that first, and then I'll maybe take some terms from your last one and get some comments yeah. on that. Look, the way I know uh, our fiscal year ended at, uh, uh, June 30th, mm. and so sometime about July, first week in July or so, I'd take a week off uh, from normal business uh, activities. I wouldn't schedule any meetings. I'd block it and sit down. And uh, my goal was always, uh, when I originally, um, uh, when Sky originally went public, my, my folks uh, bought, they, sadly they both passed away, uh, so this guy went public in 96, 97, I think, somewhere around there. And uh, my folks insisted on buying shares. And, uh, and I always thought in my mind as I write this letter that neither one of them had any uh, education past high school, very mm -hmm. bright people, but uh, uh, they just didn't have the opportunity to go on to university. And so I always wanted to explain it, what was going on at the company in a way they could understand it. And so that's why I focused that much on, on the letter, trying to break down the jargon. And you're right, it, it's pretty, it wasn't used that much. If, if uh, you know, I challenge anyone to grab, uh, you and I can grab five annual reports, redact a few words out of every paragraph, yeah. and you will not tell, you could not tell who, what, what industry they're in and what they're doing. And I thought it was always important that the financials are so in depth, I can't cover any more about the financials and uh, what the, uh, mm. the accounting standards are. I mean, they're, they're pretty uh, transparent. And so I really wanted to talk about the trends of the industry, what was happening, and you know, what are the challenges, what are the opportunities. And so, uh, you know, uh, and I, the board didn't like it. Uh, my, uh, accountant, See, I can't believe that. It's <laughs> insane. <laughs> the accountants didn't like it, uh, and the, uh, the legal uh, advisors never liked it. But it was just something important to me. And uh, 
and then I, I spent a week uh, writing it, another month probably defending it, uh, yeah. and, and making compromises and wording and that sort of stuff. So and, my guess is it started out a lot longer. <laughs> that's right, twice yeah. as long and probably uh, way too much detail. It may have been only interested to me, but I mean, it was like a mind dump of everything that was going on in the company. So I'll be interested to see um, if this guy continues it or not. I mean, from from my perspective, you know, being shareholders and investors, I, I wish more CEOs did it, you know, because yeah. it, it, it's, you don't, you don't get much reading at, at a lot of the letters to shareholders and yeah. to actually get further value from it. And, and like you said, I think Warren Buffett says a similar thing. He likes to write his reporters if he's explaining it to his two sisters. Okay. You know? The, um, the uh, you know, because the shareholders are actually partners of the business. Well, they're so, in the company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so while institutional owners may be um, bigger shareholders, a larger percentage, uh, you, know, you see the same faces at the AGM year after year. Yeah, absolutely. Of individuals. Um, so just to take some, a couple of lines from, from the annual report there, um, one, one that was interesting to me was the term content wars. Can you mm-hmm. expand on that one? Yes, that right now in New Zealand, um, it's an interesting market you have uh, if you look across the landscape. So first of all, you have the internet, so that affording lots of more opportunity for people to come in. Freeview brought in a whole new uh, group of competitors, They're most of them pretty small, but even the big players like TVNZ and TV3 afforded them the opportunity to deliver more channels. Um, and, uh, and you have TVNZ that is owned by one shareholder of the government that's not particularly mm-hmm. concerned about returning cost of capital. You have um, um, MediaWorks, great people, but uh, the, the television industry, uh, the television part of the business probably doesn't make any money, but they have owned by a, uh, a private equity company that doesn't want to sell it because they want to sell the whole package together. Mm-hmm. They think you can get more money that way. Um, and so consequently what's happening, um, and in, um, Spark has entered into the marketplace on sports, consequently what we're probably doing is paying more per capita. Um, uh, let's take a episode of uh, you know, whatever shows out there now, but uh, um, uh, uh, let's take uh, Friends or something like mm. that. And I realize Friends has been in reruns for years, but we probably pay more for Friends, and in this case, TV and Z owns, and, and it could be any television series. We probably pay more for television series per capita here than any other place around the world. That's how intense the competitive uh, competition is. And so that uh, will drive a lot of content players to the wall. And, and so uh, you either have to um, have the plan that allows you to break even on content at a cheaper price than anybody else, or building a business that allows you to eventually transition to that. Yeah. Okay, and further on the content, you mentioned the, the phrase peak content in the report as well. Yes, uh, I... Um, I'll be interested in the peak part of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, pride myself on seeing the synopsis of every television show scripted comedy or drama. So it would leave out all the foreign title ones. It would leave out a reality TV. And, but every other television series, I've read 15 minutes of a version of it, probably seen a clip of it. Yeah. And I can remember uh, five years ago, 
maybe that there was 275 television mm, series. I remember that, what yeah. you said, yeah. And I think now it's 485, and I don't see it abating. Apple TV is going to jump into the market. Uh, Amazon is, wants to gear up what they're doing. And it's just, um, and, and yet, and so we've almost doubled the amount of content. By the way, we haven't increased the population that much. So yeah. uh, if anything, uh, in our daily lives, uh, we've probably spent less time watching television. So it's going to be a real interesting dynamics the next couple of years on what happens. Can you make any predictions there? Do you think it will be a, a change in the, I guess, the economics of it? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what will happen, um, uh, linear television is just slowly dying. Mm. Okay, so, uh, but you can't abandon it. I mean, uh, and by linear television, you mean? Uh, one show starts at 8, a comedy right. starts at 8, and then 8.30 a drama, yeah. and then 9.30 reality TV. So it's a set schedule as opposed to being on demand. Yeah. And uh, and uh, there's absolutely no doubt that that's slowly dying, and it's impacting even sports. Uh, I can remember the last uh, All Black game that uh, we did at Sky. That would have been probably uh, in prime time, probably June or July of last year. Um, just for the heck of it, I looked and saw what it, what else was going on in the Sky universe. And at the same time as the, the rugby, same yeah. time, yeah. And 30 people, uh, and again, this is, uh, we take samples and then uh, adjust it, but it's a significant, uh, uh, large enough number to make it valid. Um, there were 30 people watching an episode of Game From the sample? Yeah. 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 30 people um, watching Game of Thrones. Yeah. And so now what's happening, and by the way, Game of Thrones hadn't been on for almost a year at that time. They just had completed I think they completed series seven uh, the year before, or six months before, and in those thirty, uh, and on Sky, all all seasons of uh, Game of Thrones is on available on demand. So thirty people exercise that opportunity, and so now content not only has to compete with what's on against all the competitors live, it has to compete with every show that's ever been made mm. for all practical purposes. Yeah, and so uh, it's. Uh, you know, you're going to see uh, that just damages linear television. And even TV and Z, who's the strongest linear uh, television player, I have no, uh, you know, I have no uh, insight, uh, no um, uh, inside knowledge of what they're doing. But if you look, they are buying shows, uh, let's say Catch-22, which I think will be a good one. I've not seen it. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> okay, it's on demand. They're advertising yeah. it quite heavily. And I'm probably more attuned to what the media companies advertise than, than the average consumer. Uh, but they're average, uh, promoting the heck out of it. And by the way, it's, it's not, to the best of my knowledge, it's not even on linear TV. Now, maybe eventually schedule mm. linear TV, but uh, it's all only on demand. Okay. They, they would have paid a lot of money for it. So it almost looks, and, and it's what we would call in the industry AVOD, advertising video on demand. So you, you order to watch it. Uh, and by the way, MediaWorks does the same thing. Uh, and they show a couple minutes of commercials. Mm. And so the content commercial load is much lower but in theory, um, hopefully they pick up, I, my guess, the economics is they pick up more viewers and that, uh, yeah. that helps it. Um, I just thought of something when you were saying that about the sport. Do you think with the amount of different types of content out there and, the, uh, and different ways to consume it, that that will decrease the value of, of sports, sports content? In theory, it should. Uh, you know, we're not seeing that. Uh, the EPL rights went down. In, in I understand that's happening in the United States with yeah. football, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so American the, football. Yeah, is, the yeah. value of content, we haven't seen it here in New Zealand yet, 
um, and uh, but uh, it just has to. Uh, you know, sport will still be stronger uh, because sport is kind of that last of that appointment viewing. You can't say, um, uh, unlike Game of Thrones, you don't mind watching it two days later. Mm. You don't want to watch typically. You don't want to watch an all-black game two days later. Because yeah, by then you already know the results. That's right. Yeah. You know the results. And so and that's where you look at highlights package. And that's one reason why Sky's done quite a bit with their uh, their highlights because it picks up a lot of viewership as a value add. Mm. Back to the annual report. You mentioned a term I hadn't heard before, but I think I understand it called prestige drama. Mm-hmm. Look, it was kind of a term. Um, I don't think I invented it, but when I saw it, um, uh, another term for it is premium drama. There used to be television shows like Magnum P.I. Mm. You could sit there and uh, review a newspaper while the Turn show was on. Turn your brain off, yeah. And you liked it. And by the way, Magnum P.I. is a great show, and it was probably in the top ten uh, years it was out there. But it was a formulaic in the fact that uh, in the first couple minutes there'd be a dead body, and then by the end of the show, um, Magnum um, would, uh, you know, they'd be drinking Mai Tais on the veranda after they solved the crime. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, you take a game of, uh, of uh, Thrones, you almost need a debrief on exactly what happened <laughs> because uh, the writers, in order to hold you and hold you for future seasons, and it really started with Lost and probably Desperate Housewives right. and uh, many other shows uh, like that where there was all these plots and subplots and it, it slowly would die out after two or three years because you'd miss it two weeks you go back to it. Uh, I don't know if you watch Lost. You go back to it. I haven't, but okay. I've, I understand the yeah. premise of it. Yeah. You, you go back two weeks later. If you maybe you're on vacation or you had to work due or something like that, and you missed it, you go back two weeks later, and you would um, be completely lost on what was going on. Yeah. And uh, and so these shows would peak after three years and then slowly die off. What happens now with video on demand? You never lose continuity with it. You can watch it. You know, you can catch up. You can binge one whole season and yeah, because I, I binge watch like a new episode, season of Billions comes out. For That's example, right. I could watch it in the week. Yep, yep, exactly. Quite happily, right. yeah. and I, I couldn't watch a movie, but I could watch that in a That's week. That's right, and it's it's really funny. And so shows like Billions uh, is what I a perfect example of prestige drama, where you can't read a newspaper while you watch it. There's all sorts of plots going on. Yeah. You need to focus, and they're typically huge. I mean. Um, uh, every episode of Game of Thrones this year probably um, uh, costs as much as the average movie. Mm. You know, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a... Because from time to time you'd hear in the news when you're at, at Sky, there'll be some sort of criticism about mm-hmm. some content that you lost or, yeah, or whatever it might you're, be. You're being very kind, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Lots of criticism. Lots of criticism. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. So I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes from the... The, your letter, you said, if there is a year that goes by without an article regarding Sky losing content, a content deal, you should attend the AGM to voice your concern. <laughs> and then you go on to say, there are several contracts we've lost over the years, but seldom has the same company come back the next time. Yep, and my point is the easiest thing in the world is to win content rights. All you need to do is keep bidding until you've taken out all the bidding. The real tricky part starts after that. Okay, so how do I get this money back that I've invested on behalf of not only investors, but viewers mm. for all practical purposes. And uh, the EPL is a good example. Um, uh, six years ago, uh, a company by the name of uh, B and, uh, uh, Coliseum outbid us for it. And the EPL is one of these fantastically iconic, important events. 
And over the years, we've seen the value of it decrease. Yeah. We pay, we, we really pay attention to uh, viewers and what they're doing, uh, what they're watching, and what they're not watching. And it used to be, with MySky in particular, the EPL rights went up because people would record the event. Uh, maybe they follow Liverpool. Because they'd be playing at three in the morning over right. here, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's right. So they record it. Next morning, get up, take the kids to soccer practice uh, or soccer game on Saturday and uh, or maybe Sunday, go to church, go home, do some yard work, sit down at lunch and watch with a beer and watch the game. And it was fresh to them and important to them. Mm. Nowadays, what was happening was they have an app. And they find out that their Liverpool team won 3 nothing, And by the way, that app probably shows all three of the goals. So uh, while it's 12 hours delay in the UK and probably doesn't impact the rights there, it really impacted the rights here because people wouldn't watch it. I know my team won and here's mm. either won or lost. And well, it's hard to watch a football game if you've already seen the three right. goals. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and so the valuation, or in our case, the viewership continued to drop off. Now, Coliseum didn't know that. Mm. And so they bid what I thought was a ridiculous price. They won it, good luck. Hope you can figure out how you could uh, monetize it. They didn't, they went out of business. Then uh, B in Sport, <laughs> uh, three years ago, outbid us. And uh, and the B in Sports people are very smart guys, they're really dedicated to football, they own rights, uh, you know, EPL rights around the world, and, and maybe the biggest rights holder for uh, EPL content and all the different So they should know what they're doing. Yeah, but once again, they relied on the reputation of the EPO as opposed to the viewership. So B and Sport went under. And by the way, it's important that your listeners know that there are certain people that are probably screaming at, the, uh, at their podcast right now saying, what are you talking about? You know, the EPL is the most important thing. I have to stay neutral. I have to, I only go... Look I, at the data. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, um, uh, you know, uh, dedicated totally to the... Uh, we don't take surveys. We don't ask them what they think. We, uh, we follow what they watch. And uh, now Spark picked it up. So uh, now will Spark pay that much for three years from now? I doubt it. And so consequently, the content is being won by people prepared to pony up to experiment with typically a new platform without really knowing the value. Mm -hmm. But they can't exercise their option on this platform unless they have content. So they have to go out and get content to fill the void. I've just thought of a question. When, when someone say Coliseum, for example, bids for the EPL and then the next year... Three, cut, three year Or whatever deal. it is, three-year deal. Yeah. The next time next time it comes around, they, they're they not bidding that time. They're out of the, they're out of the race. Mm -hmm. So that's one less bidder. Does that, is that a good thing for Sky because that means that they're paying less next time? Well, uh, yes. Or they can get more value next time is probably a better question. Yeah, I mean, uh, the smarter... The viewer, uh, I often toyed I should pass out our ratings to all of our competitors <laughs> on these bidding awards because they bid out of ignorance. Yeah, and um, and they they, they uh, weaponize their ignorance because they've got big budgets to go after stuff. And, and they've already made the decision going yeah, into it that yeah, they're going to get it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, and and so uh, the uh, and so sadly, even though Coliseum left the field. You know, B in Sport came in. Mm. Now B in Sports left the field, and now uh, uh, Spark Sports come in. So, uh, you know, there, there are there's so much content out there. You just can't follow people jumping off the cliff to go to go get it. Yeah, yeah. Is, is there any, would uh, I know you're not at Sky anymore, but mm -hmm. would there be any anything that you would have to follow off off the cliff, for example? Like, is there any events or sport or no, content no, I mean, that you'd need to? 
probably the, the pony the, up for so to yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the biggest. Uh, my answer, short answer, is no, um, because it doesn't do your viewer any good going out the most popular sport in the world if you pay too much. Mm. The company either goes bankrupt or forced to raise the rates uh, too high. And um, but probably the biggest criticism I ever got was over the uh, Rugby World Cup. Now keep in mind that's the most recent one. Yeah, you're coming up. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah in a couple months. Um, and keep in mind, since I've been a Sky, there might have been seven Rugby World Cups. And Sky didn't own the first four or five at all uh, because it's mainly a free-to-air play. Uh, under the, like the FIFA uh, arrangement or the Olympics, under the um, uh, typically uh, Rugby World Cup, you have to show the final live, you have to show, I think, the quarterfinals and the semifinals live if the All Blacks are in it. Mm. And, and so consequently, um, it's really a free to airplay. Uh, and it's not a good pay TV uh, uh, component. Uh, lots of games behind the paywall, I get that, but they would be games with uh, even good games like in England versus Australia will get very limited viewing. And there are not a lot of those type of games. You know, it's, it's Canada versus Georgia or something like mm. that. And so the viewing of those non-all uh, black games typically are negligible. And, and so we didn't win the first four. I put in a bid from probably... The first four World Cups? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rugby World Cups. And then when the first one was held here, they needed my production capability of going out and producing... In 2011? 2011, yeah. that, you have to be right. And, and by the way, uh, the government stepped in and bought the rights uh, as well. And, and so Maori Television had some rights... Um, uh, MediaWorks had some rights, uh, TVNZ had rights. In fact, only in New Zealand would four stations be showing four different versions of a live r final Rugby World Cup, mm. which, by the way, Sky won the ratings uh, for uh, compared to everybody else. And so um, it just, uh, I, I won that only because they needed my production capability because the Rugby World Cup, they would make far more money selling around the world than they do just selling in New Zealand. Yeah. And then the last time, uh, and now we're talking 2015, uh, we won the rights, and this time solely, only because the free airs cannot show advertising on Sunday morning. And so most of those games in England are at night, the important ones, they hit this market Sunday morning, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the law doesn't allow them to sell advertising for right. that. And so we picked up a pretty cheap price. This time, I was prepared to pay a little bit higher, knowing that uh, there'd be other competitors. But, um, you know, the games are hitting this market probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and again, all the important games are on free air. So we put in a bid and put in probably the highest bid we ever did. And someone else bid maybe four times what we bid. Yeah. There's not somebody. Uh, uh, Spark Sport. And so you just have to tip your hat to them and say, congratulations. Yeah. And uh, watch Cole, see how they intend to amortize it. Now, they may have taken a different view. They may have taken a view that, hey, we're launching a new product. What Big better splash. way? Yeah, and yeah. I did that. Yeah. Uh, when we were trying to get Sky going, I went after the FIFA World Cup, this time with TVNZ, who really didn't want to show every FIFA World Cup game. They were, uh, new Zealand wasn't in it. Uh, they were happy to show the first game and the last game, I think, is the FIFA requirement, uh, if, if your home country's not in it. And, um, and Sky bid for it, and we paid a lot of money for it. 
and got a lot of signups and uh, we just didn't have enough other content to keep it and so people those lines that went you know 20 people deep out of Mount Wellington mm. people returning their decoders <laughs> um, uh, after the, the last match uh, New Zealanders are not noted for want, wanting to pay for anything that they're, they're not using so uh, th I think that's a short that that sounds good to put you on the map ends up being a financial hurt yeah now I guess for, for the listeners, I can understand if you're one of the 700,000 subscribers or whatever it is that mm. might be a bit frustrated because they they can't watch something they, they might want to watch. But I guess at the end of the day, you've got a duty duty of care to your listeners, but the to your, to your viewers, sorry, but the, your responsibility is to your shareholders, isn't it? And you don't want to be doing something that's not going to create value for them. Well, that's right. And, uh, and so, uh, and keep in mind, the 700,000 customers will still be able to see the most important games, which will be on TV and Z, and even the other games I think are an hour delay or something like that, which really sucks the value out of the pay, uh, the pay television wall out of it. So be interested how a Spark Sport does. Uh, yeah. Uh, on a, you I think everyone wants to see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and that's not even the technical, that's just pure the financials. So, um, uh, you know, if my I could have the goal to go out and say, we're going to win everything. Mm. I don't care what it takes no content will allow to go to a competitor. And when I first started Sky, that's MediaWorks and TV and Z, that's the approach they took. They wouldn't let Sky get any content. And they would pay whatever it took. And it really kind of destroyed them financially. Mm. Uh, TV and Z at one time was probably the most profitable company in in, uh, in media in, in New Zealand. Yeah. And, and now, you know, I don't know what their profits are, you know, 10 million or something. By the way, very run, uh, well run. It's yeah. just the challenge of the, the linear uh, business. Uh, they certainly make more money than media works. Yeah. Um, while we're on Spark, I actually wrote down a question here, um, and we'll, that will lead us into the Vodafone thing as well. I said, do you think it is ironic that the merger between Sky and Vodafone was essentially blocked or not allowed to go ahead? which is basically a media and a phone company, and now a phone company, which is Spark, is getting into media? I think it's not ironic. I think it's tragic. I mean, this is we told them that Spark, uh, Spark went out with a great case saying, look, we can never compete with Sky on um, and going on content. We don't know anything about it and how to do it, and you can't allow it to be wrapped up with a... Um, this was in contesting the merger, yeah, was it? That's yeah, that's right, an yeah. argument. My argument was... All you need to do is win content is write big enough checks. And Spark can easily do that. They just have elected not to. Seven billion dollar company. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, they could uh, they you know, they dwarf Sky. And all they prepared all they need to do is write big checks and they can get in the uh, be prepared to get in the business. And uh, and they took the Spark argument that somehow what I was doing was magical and that uh, no one else could uh, do that and then within I think the day after the merger announcement, they already had a deal lined up with Netflix to be yeah. that exclusive. And then since then, they've been bidding Spotify and yeah. everything, yeah. So uh, I think if that merger between Vodafone and Sky went out today, I don't think there'd be any questions about mm. it. But at the time, and if you look around the world, that same merger was happening yeah, well, We mentioned AT&T and Time Warner yeah, a second right. ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what's happening is phone companies... Um, uh, for all practical purposes, deal in commodity services that uh, if you and I, you and I can start an ISP tomorrow and basically get the same input prices that um, from course that Spark can. Yeah. Maybe there's volume discounts. I don't know, but um, mm. we can we can get basically the same price. So they have a commodity service, 
and you can go one of two ways, have the lowest price. And by the way, I think there's 50 or 60 ISPs out there in the market. Only two or three of them have much of a market share, but uh, there's only two ways you can go. You can say, I'm gonna have the lowest price, and Vodafone and Spark would hate to go that path, or I've got this better brand, and that better brand can be a bit more advertising, mm. it can be because you offer content mm. along with it. So, so the uh, bundling thing. The, the, the bundling yeah. thing. So I saw that that was gonna be an issue, and that's why I wanted to merge with Vodafone, because I wanted to be able to still protect that side of the market, um, people giving away content. It's mm. tough to be in a business retailing content when competitors are giving it away. Yeah. Makes sense. Because <laughs> I, I remember reading somewhere that, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but it was a, it was a bit of a low light for you, that, that merger not happening. It was a shock. I mean, um, um, our, our attorneys didn't believe it was going to happen. Um, Vodafone's attorney believed it w w wasn't going to happen. Um, and then even for that matter, Spark's attorneys didn't think it was going to be blocked. Yeah. And so, um, and that's why they did that Netflix deal the next day. Uh, announced it. They had done it weeks previously. So it was certainly a low point, and uh, I think a low point in New Zealand uh, business and commerce, and I think it will set our industry back uh, for a while. Uh, but, um, you know, new companies uh, bought Vodafone. and mm. um, Infertil and Brookfield, Infertil, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised down the road this merger's back on. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, because Infertil has, a, I guess, a history of relisting and refloating yeah, big, big, big bets that they make, and this is a big bet for him for Have you? I don't know if you met Marco Boganvisky, but uh, he was—he's a, a CEO of. Uh, no, I've, I've, we've had Tim Brown on the podcast okay, in right. the past, but not Marco. And Marco may have been one of the best board members Sky ever had. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah because at one time, Spark or its predecessor, Telecom, owned part of. Mm. That was another confusing thing to me. Why? Why it was okay for Telecom to own part of uh, Sky? Now they eventually sold out, and not. Anyway, I don't want to re-litigate re that issue. But uh, Marco's a, just, uh, you know, I rate him. Uh, out of all the CEOs in New Zealand, I probably rate him the highest. Oh, really? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Well, there you go, listeners. Yeah. Um, I guess there was there was one thing that you mentioned to me before that you would like to, to talk about towards the end of the podcast. And, sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll get into it with a Warren Buffett question. Okay. Buffett has a, a, a quote, and it's baseball analogy okay. right. um, about waiting for the fat pitch and he says it a bit more eloquently than that but do you, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that sort of thing waiting for the, the big pitch in business or well, yeah, the fat pitch so yeah speak? I mean uh, no I, I had my love for baseball before I even met Warren Buffett because I went to, <laughs> I went to college on a baseball a university on a baseball scholarship but uh, the um, uh, you know he's absolutely right you know the world is awash in content and um, yes, uh, Sky lost the the Rugby World Cup uh, bidding rights, but you know it won the Game of Thrones bidding rights. Uh, the Cricket World Cup starts in another week or so, and uh, uh, you know we have the women's uh, under twenty. I say we. Sky has a women's under twenty uh, uh, World Cup, which uh, New Zealand should do quite well at. Oh, they're going all right, aren't they? Yeah, and, yeah. The, and the, the men's under twenty. You know, yeah. who would have thought that they would not? Oh, that's off. what I mean. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But the women's coming up as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's not under 20, I think it's just a woman's, okay, yeah. so I, it's tough for me to keep track of, and the French Open's going on, and so there, there's just so much content, and you can't take a position that you're going to win every one of them. Mm. You'll bankrupt the company, or your, your, your monthly fees will be so high that no 
subscribers could afford them other than maybe the top 1%. Especially in the age of peak content. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, so what, what is it you're doing these days then? You left, left Sky in February. What's well, uh, two things, uh, actually probably three things. I, I'm going back to coaching baseball. I've always enjoyed it. I've got uh, several players that have gone on to um, play professionally and play in the United States, a couple there now. But oh, people even, you're individually coaching? Yes, yeah. uh, that I coached while they were here. In oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, now, to be fair, I'm just as proud of those that became firemen and you know married and mm. raised families and that sort of stuff. So I've coached for... Uh, Every year, just about, I've been in New Zealand. I coach in high school baseball in the States for uh, 10, 15 years before coming over. Um, and so going back to coaching, I'm doing um, uh, quite a bit of work with uh, uh, pay TV platforms around the world uh, on uh, valuation of content. Like some consulting. That's yeah, right, yeah. where they sit down. And, and so they expect me to you know come in and say, you know, we think we're paying too much for CNN. What do you think? Well, geez, I don't know. Let me let's look through the numbers, and then, you know, interesting thing. Uh, like, if you have to drop channels, which one do you take a look at? And let's take a look at uh, Sky as an instance, as a case of things I'm doing. Uh, but uh, Sky has two channels provided by the same organization, the Discovery people, uh, that produce the Discovery Channel and TLC. They also produce Animal Planet and something like uh, and Turbo, which mm. is a more automatic, uh, about autos and speed and that sort of stuff, uh, really aimed at younger males or males with a real commitment to uh, automobiles. And so I find it, uh, and so both of them rate about the same. But what was interesting to me, some of the research we did was Turbo, people that watch Turbo, probably maybe 50% of the viewing on Turbo, they're really dedicated to that channel. Mm. Well, people that watch Animal Planet while they get the same number of view hours, um, it only represents a much smaller percent of their total viewing in the universe. Yeah. And so it's those type of things where you sit there and say, geez, we would lose subscribers if we dropped Turbo, uh, but we wouldn't lose subscribers if we dropped the Animal Planet. And please, no letters from Animal Planet. It's a great <laughs> channel, and I love it, but that's just the way the economics work. Yeah, yeah, I imagine you're reasonably well qualified to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it was up to me. We just have John Wayne movies and, uh, and uh, baseball and games baseball, on Sky. Yeah. But uh, uh, sadly, I don't program it for me. I try to program it for New Zealand, or I did. Fantastic. Well, that, that's pretty much all, all I have to say. If there's anything else you'd like to add? No, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Right, so thanks very much for listening to the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the interview. As I said at the start of the show, it was an interview that I certainly enjoyed conducting and I I learned an awful lot from it. So a reminder that nothing that we said today should be considered financial advice. Just another reminder there. I'm sure you've heard it before. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stopmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Share it with your friends also. We always like to grow. If you want to email me, it is jeremy at stopmarketmovers.co.nz. Feel free to send across any questions that you have want to have answered on the podcast. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 42 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday, the 31st of May, 2019. We'll see you all again next week, hopefully for a Berkshire episode.